Welcome to A Thousand Tiny Steps. I'm Barb Higgins, and in this podcast, I'll share personal stories of great joy and tragedy and the steps that brought me there. I have become adept at tracing them backward to find the origin of an event, good or bad, that has affected my life. I have gone from being on top of the world with Division I All-American success to being unable to get out of bed with the grief of losing a child and everything in between. I am painfully honest, which can make people uncomfortable, but discomfort brings growth and oftentimes tragedy brings joy. So tie, buckle, slip on, release up your shoes and join me as we begin our thousand tiny steps. Hey everybody, Barb Higgins here, beginning episode 21 of A Thousand Tiny Steps. So this is the first episode in season three. So even though I don't take a break between seasons, I like having the episodes clumped into seasons because I have a main focus of each season. So season one was Jack, season two, Molly. And season three now is going to be a bit more general. I'm continuing two themes here. One is that each season has a theme. And the other is that I trace the steps back till I can see if there really was a very first step that led to Molly's death, the beginning of the end of Molly. It's something that still haunts me. And I just have to process it through, validate it, speak about it. Hopefully it'll be able to leave me one day. But it's this constant, constant search to find answers. And how can I not make those same mistakes. You know, I have, I have Jack now. One of the common things people say is, oh, you have a do-over. It's no, this is not a do-over. I'm not doing anything over. I failed miserably the first time around is how I feel sometimes. Jack is a continuation of my journey and hopefully he'll have fun being by his old mommy's side. Anyway, so season three is going to focus on the physical effects of trauma, grief, sadness, mental illness, all those different things. Because whether or not you're a spiritual being or an atheist, whether you go with God or science, no matter what, we have our bodies, and then we have our minds or our souls or our energy, whatever it is that lives in the body. The body dies and the energy doesn't. So if you're a religious person, you would believe that your soul would then have eternal life and go to heaven. Some atheists don't believe in afterlife. They just think this is it. Others do. They just don't look, attach it to a God or a deity or something like this. I'm a firm believer that what makes me Barb Higgins was here before this body was made and will exist long after it's done. In looking at the physical effects of grief and trauma on the body, those two things or three things come into play, mind, body, spirit. So what you think, what you feel, and where it all lives, which is in the body. So as I've mentioned in podcasts before, I come from a lifetime of trauma, unbelievable life that's full of extreme highs and extreme lows, and not a lot of in-between time. The time period I'll be looking at now, so I looked at the five years since Molly died in terms of Jack. I also looked at those same five years in the year prior to her death, in terms of Molly in that season. So I'm going to look at the time period in my life, 2011 to 2016. And that was when I lost my job in the Concord School District up to Molly's death. And my life was not okay at all during those years. I was living a double life. I was trying to maintain the safe home for my kids, but I knew that my marriage was probably over. I actually got divorced during that time. We divorced primarily for financial reasons maintained this very unhealthy on-again, off-again relationship with Roy. Nothing was okay. And in classic child abuse survivor mode, I was running around really trying to tell everyone what they wanted to hear. So one of the main focuses of PTSD, when somebody has had a trauma and they, they have post-traumatic stress disorder, is they relive the trauma as if it's happening. So you take a war veteran and they hear fireworks and they're not in a field in their hometown watching fireworks. In that moment, they're right back into the battlefield. And whatever happened that traumatized them is actually happening. That's how their body's reacting. So for me, as a child abuse survivor, 
my biggest trigger is any time that I feel accused of something or out of control. And what I'll do is I'll run around like crazy trying to make everything okay. So after I lost my job, I had incredible shame, incredible regret. I was so depressed, utterly traumatized, and I was paralyzed, just paralyzed with grief. I stayed in bed for months. I remember I actually found a little sticky note that says, make mommy happy on it. And it, Gracie wrote it. And she was so worried about me and how sad I was. And, you know, she didn't know what was going on with me, but she just knew that I was unbelievably sad. In my grief journey with Molly, in my joy journey with Jack, I'm easily triggered. And before these two events, I was easily triggered. My job loss was an incredible trigger for me. And the physical effects of that, of those triggers were just as profound as the physical effects my abuse had on me as a child. So this season will focus on these things. And I'll use stories, different stories to talk about those things. So I'll give you a little bit of a prequel right now, sort of let you know some of the things I'll be addressing, and then we'll get into it next episode. So I know so many of you listening can relate to the stories I tell. I want to also start by thanking everyone who does listen and to continue to remind everybody that my stories are just my stories. These things happen to me and I've just decided I'm not going to keep my mouth shut anymore. <laughs> by doing the podcast, it's been incredibly cathartic for me. If you hear a hissing sound, that's the radiator. It's freezing. <laughs> this will be fun, fun episode. You can hear, hear my hissing radiators. So for me, the death of Molly was a trigger for the job loss, which was a trigger for a friendship disaster that I was going through, which was a trigger for my first marriage, which was a trigger for child abuse. Like I, I could just go back and back and back and back to the different things that certain events trigger for me. What this has taught me in this self-analysis and in some of the reading I've done, which I'll get to in a minute, is that the body keeps the score. And actually, that's actually the name of one of the books. When I go to the doctor, I'll often say, I am the unhealthiest healthy person I know because I've had so many physical things happen to me illnesses, conditions, surgeries, tumors, injuries. It just makes no sense. And people look at me sometimes like, how can you have all these things? I had someone say, you're very unhealthy. I said, no, I'm unbelievably healthy. And someone else said, oh, you have bad genetics. No, I have great genetics, <laughs> but I've lived this incredibly stressful life. Two things go into it. So I was listening to a podcast. It was about grief and trauma. And the woman who was giving the talk talked about certain things that cause trauma or grief that can affect you physically in a very bad way and take away your self-confidence in your voice, et cetera. One of them was abuse. One of them was a marriage ending. One of them was job loss. One of them was losing someone that you love, a child or a parent. One of them was financial ruin. So she was listing these things as ors. Maybe this happened to you, or this happened to you, or this happened to you. And I had had all of those things happen to me. I saw this house in the newspaper up for foreclosure and auction and had to scramble around borrowing money to save it. I lost my job in a horrifically embarrassing way. That will be another whole podcast season. I lost a child too, actually. I was abused as a child. My first marriage failed. Everything that this person listed, I had gone through. What makes me excited about continuing to trace my steps back to look at what brought me to May 7th, 2016, unplugging my child from life support. And as I take the steps back, so many puzzle pieces begin to fit that didn't fit before. I Finished season two in terms of recording a couple of weeks before Christmas because my editor was going on vacation and I needed to get the episodes in so that he could do the editing and everything and not have his last week of work be terrible. So it, I haven't recorded an episode in almost a month. And so I feel like it's been a big break for me. You'll all listen weekly, so it won't, you won't have the same break that I have. But the one good thing about taking a break from something is the reflection. And I have a 26-page document that my editor wrote for me 
with things to read and tasks to complete and exercises to go through mentally. And in terms of really knowing myself and knowing what I can deliver and give with a podcast, is there something else I could be doing to help people? Sharing my, my story is like a small piece of what could be much bigger. And these are things that don't cross my mind so much sometimes. Since Molly's death, I've had a hard time looking too far ahead. I was a major goal setter before that. Everything was a goal. You can't be an elite athlete and not live by setting goals. The goal setting that I'm sort of required to do in this next venture in my life has been as cathartic as the podcast. During that time as well, I did some reading. So I read three books while I'm in the middle of reading them all, actually. And all of them address different aspects of the beginning of the end of Molly, my thousand tiny steps. Where did, where did it start? The first one I started reading is a book called Power, and it's by Shahida Rabi. And it's a book about surviving and thriving after narcissistic abuse. So I have to be clear on something before I get too far into it. The term narcissism is taken off because narcissistic personality disorder is really newly identified and researched and looked at. I belong to a couple of support groups for people that have been in these relationships. And I think anyone that can abuse someone else has narcissistic tendencies. Because if, you're, if you think that little of other people that you could inflict pain on them, then you obviously think a lot about yourself. This is how I see it. The lack of empathy that a narcissist has Anyone that, that abuses somebody has a serious shutoff in empathy, even if it's only at the time they're doing the abuse. You could be very empathetic on Tuesday, but if you're abusing someone Wednesday, you can't have empathy and hurt somebody or anything. It's impossible. Empathy would prevent you from being hurtful. This book has been incredibly helpful in removing some of the blame that I put upon myself. I had someone tell me recently that every bad thing that happened to me was my own fault. This is completely your fault, completely your doing. And I said nothing. I just stood there and held the phone and listened. Because at that moment, the trigger of that hatred put me right back into being seven and being abused, put me right back into dead Molly, put me right back into, I'm going to lose my house, put me right back into, I lost my job. It was just one of those triggers that put me right back into every paralyzingly traumatic situation I'm still recovering from and working through. So this book has been super helpful. Again, not to lay blame or point fingers ever, but Knowledge is power. This particular book, Power, has been super helpful. The other one I started reading is called The Body Keeps the Score, and it's by Bessel van der Kolk, who's a medical doctor. This book is phenomenal. It takes the trauma victims, a lot of World War II veterans, but a lot of abuse victims and people with mental illness, and goes through the PTSD and, and how that affects them physically. And it also talks about using physicalities physical tools to heal mental illness as opposed to just talk therapy and that sort of thing and medicine. Why numb it, you know, when you could work through it, that kind of thing. I'm learning a ton here as well. And so many of my physical maladies are explained. And the third one I read, I'm reading is called Taking the Work Out of Networking. So another huge issue for me, and I've been told this by everyone in my life, I say a lot of things and I never follow through. And it's true. In my research, I found a nonprofit for a little girl named Molly who died at age 13. She died less than a year ago and her family already has this thriving nonprofit. And you know, my Molly has been gone five and a half years and I'm still muddling through the website. A real mechanism for me has been to talk, 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 talk. I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this. And then I'm so busy not thinking that I do nothing. Months go by and I've, and I've made no progress or I busy myself with other things. So I have learned so much from these three books. So the marketing book is also really, really written for someone just like me that just needs to have it broken down, tiny doable steps. Those are some of the things I've been doing in the month that I haven't recorded any podcasts. And I've also really tried to think about where do I want season three to be? 
so much of my life has also been substance abuse. When does that one play in? But I think, I think this time in my life, from my job loss to Molly's death, 2011, 2016, so many things came to a head for me here. I really was beginning to fall apart before Molly's death. And had she not been sick, had she not had the tumor or had she not died from the tumor, I think my life would be very different right now. And I've said that as well. The body keeps the score, power, taking the work out of networking. You know, what's going on with me? Here is where I suffer PTSD and really complex PTSD. I have the child abuse piece. I had some trauma in my high school years around sexuality. I had all of the craziness that goes along with recovering from sexual abuse. So I had crazy 20s. I have alcoholism. I did nine years in AA before I began drinking again. I have the first marriage that ended in divorce. I have a second marriage that ended in divorce, although we were continuing to co-parent Jack and try to figure out what are we to one another. I had the relationship with Roy that was a disaster, wonderful and a disaster. I have job loss, losing my job and how horrible that was. I have Molly's death. I have my own brain tumors. I have my trigeminal neuralgia, which was a, a very painful condition that I have. So when I look at all of these things in my life, I don't see this random haphazard, boy, you have terrible luck. I see a very, very logical pattern of behavior, of cause and effect, of logical response. There's a teaching philosophy called responsive classroom. And one of the tenets of it is logical consequences. So you don't take away recess for a kid that didn't get his homework done. You have him stay after school and finish the homework. You take away recess for a child that can't handle recess. So you don't take away a good thing. You know, you keep the consequence matching of the issue that you're receiving the consequence for. When I look at things that I view as bad choices and horrible mistakes on my part, I see that the action is a very logical consequence of what was happening to me at that time. In the journey of self-analysis, here I am. What will I talk about in these next eight or nine episodes in season three of A Thousand Tiny Steps? I will trace back or trace forward from 2011 to 2016, what it was like to lose my job, what, what that did to me physically. I'll talk about meeting Robin and getting into CrossFit and the profound effect that had on me. I'll talk about Gracie and Molly growing up. I'll talk about my relationship with Roy and how trying to balance all of these things really was just a pressure cooker. Boiling water is 212 degrees and steam is 213. So we think of water and steam as two very different things. Well, cold water in a pan is vastly different than steam, but by the time it becomes steam, it's taken a long time getting hot. And the change is minute, one degree. In my life, that can be looked at both positively and negatively. At the time that Molly died, bubbling, bubbling water and the steam was disaster. In the process of this podcast and having Jack, the steam has been a release and a chance for me to find a voice and to use my voice to help other people and to use my voice to speak honestly about things that people don't talk about. That's another piece for me. The two big issues in my life, surviving child abuse and a dead child, two things that are very uncomfortable for people to talk about. So uncomfortable, just very uncomfortable. I often feel that not only is it my job to mourn Molly and to maintain her memory and to miss her and ache her for her, it's also my job to make sure I don't bother anybody with it. So many times I have to feel like I have to take care of other people so I'm not offending them with my grief. I think that's the reality of anything. So the sexual abuse piece, there's still a lot of shame around it and victim shaming and women still bear the burden of it. And there are religions that acknowledge that women should bear the burden of it somehow. All of the conflict around abortion right now, you know, the big missing piece of the abortion battle is men. 
women don't get pregnant all by themselves. It takes two. And the woman is the one that becomes pregnant, but she can't get pregnant without the sperm. Where is the responsibility there? It puts all of the, it puts all of the responsibility on the woman. And that, in my mind, that's unfair. If your house gets broken into a rob, you might get criticized for having, not having a security system or leaving your jewelry unlocked, but you're not criticized as a person for being a bad person. No, you asked for it. You asked for your house to be robbed by having a fancy house. Women get raped and they're, you know, well, you're wearing a low cut shirt. Well, what were you doing out at two in the morning? You know, those kinds of things. It's just very, very different. It's, sexual abuse is not black and white. It's a very gray crime, you know, and, and let's look at something for a minute as well. A six-year-old gets raped and a 35-year-old gets raped. Well, the 35-year-old is an adult and has a lifetime perhaps of a sexual identity and the six-year-old's a child. So the child rape in my mind is far worse, but rape is rape is rape. You steal a Twinkie from Cumbies and you steal a Twinkie from the Getty Mart, you're stealing a Twinkie. The store matters not. Well, in abuse, like in child abuse and sexual abuse, there's so many things that play into the severity and disgustingness of the abuse. So I've carried that around my whole life. And what does that do? Well, when you're being abused, any kind of abuse, you're, you're told to not say anything. Be quiet. Don't tell, don't tell, don't tell. You also, or at least for me, I felt this way. I felt like it was my fault. Like, what did I do to make this happen to me? What's wrong with me? And so there's the body hatred. A lot of people that are abused stop eating or they eat a ton. If I'm really fat, nobody will want to touch me. If I'm really skinny, I'll disappear. You know, like the different things that we do physically to recover and cope with the trauma of the abuse. But the biggest thing for me was being told not to tell. And I had parents and relatives that were all living lives that were dishonest in some way or another. I think we all do. And there's lots of don't tell, you know, what happens in Fight Club stays in Fight Club. And that was a hard thing for me. I remember confiding in a good friend about this. And she then proceeded to tell people I was a liar. Well, she admits she lies. Well, no, I admitted that I spent my childhood lying. And the lies I told as a child were peacekeeping lies. I said, whatever it took, I said, whatever was necessary to keep the peace. And that, that is something that took me a long time to overcome. And I think sometimes still, I tell people what they want to hear. I've been accused of being a liar. And I think telling people what they want to hear is some, sometimes dishonest. So is there a difference? I don't know. I don't ever wake up and think, what can I lie about today? I don't ever create stories to hide myself. Uh, not anymore. <laughs> Those days are done. So that's been a huge piece for me is the honesty. And I have a very hard time believing people. And I'm gullible. As much as I have a hard time believing people, I'm the first one to believe somebody. You know, my situations with the charter school and that I talked about a couple episodes ago, the bad things that happen, I just jumped right in to help people that really I shouldn't have been even hanging out with. So that's been a problem for me. How does that play physically? Well, when you're keeping things in and not telling and bearing responsibility and blame for things that aren't your fault, you're going to have a physical toll. Stress releases hormones in your body. I know when I was being abused as a child, my growth slowed down. I stopped gaining weight. I stopped developing physically. I just stayed a little girl for several years. As an adult, you know, a young adult in my 20s, I also had a lot of asthma when I was being abused. I was asthmatic because if I was in the hospital, I was safe. So asthma attacks got my mother's attention and kept me safe. I didn't do them on purpose, but boy, I had them all the time. Once the abuse stopped and I got healthy, my asthma all but disappeared. I began running. And so running ended up being a medicine for me, an abuse medicine and an asthma medicine. That was phenomenal. In my adult life, post all of that, the other traumas that I've had, I have chronic stiffness. I'm not flexible. Well, if I stretch all the time, I get flexible like anyone else, but I, I carry the tension. And I think that a lot of my immobility and injuries because of my lack of mobility come from tension and stress and holding things in. I am also very quick to accept that things are my fault, which has led me 
to go through a series of really, really unhealthy relationships. Probably the only person in my life that has never just blamed me for everything is Kenny. We do a lot of things wrong, but in terms of holding each other accountable and owning our own, we're actually very good at that, which is surprising considering all that we've gone through. I'll do a couple of episodes on my running because when I lost my job, I lost all the connection to running and I couldn't even, I couldn't even look at running. And that was horrible for me. I'll talk about in my adult life, you know, I've had, I have a chronic nerve condition, trigeminal neuralgia. Surprise, surprise that that surfaced in me in that time of life where I'd lost my job before Molly died, 2013, like right in the middle of that time period. And it was horrible. And I still, you know, I can feel it today. I think it's no surprise that I got it. You know, I think oftentimes women have a lot more chronic illness than men. And I say this knowing I'm, that I think men don't talk about it as much, so they, they could. But, you know, arthritis and fibromyalgia and Guillain-Barre syndrome and chronic fatigue, these are things, Lyme disease, all of these are things that have physical derivations. They come from physical causes, but women suffer so much more than men with them sometimes. And I think it's because we carry the burden of worry. It's just in our nature more so, I think, for the most part than men. And I know for me, that's been very true. I've had chronic pain in my face. I've had chronic back pain. Now, I, you know, I've had 9 million surgeries. I've had disc surgery and bunion surgery and brain surgery and hernia surgery and tonsillectomy. And, you know, I've had a million surgeries. I'd laugh if it were funny. I laugh anyway. And I think sometimes that my stressful, trauma-filled life contributes to these things. I don't know for sure. I know a lot of super happy, happy people that <laughs> have illnesses. But, you know, you look at the prevalence now of physical illness and the prevalence of mental illness and depression and anxiety in our society. Obviously, the two go hand in hand. If I were to get political for a minute, I'd talk about how you can't trust a government organization that monitors food safety and drug safety, food and drug administration. Come on now. <laughs> Create food to make people sick so we can sell them drugs is sometimes how I look at it. But when I look at some things that are working for me to keep me healthy now, I realize that it's really, truly within us to be happy and well. And we get sidetracked by a lot of external things. So I'll talk a bit about that. I'll talk about CrossFit and not only the physicality of CrossFit and what I've been able to do with it, but the institution itself. Everyone knows what CrossFit is now. And the big thing is people that go to CrossFit, all they talk about is CrossFit. And it's true in the beginning anyway, it was overwhelming because it was just such a positive place. And what I liked about it was the sense of community. There was no judgment there. There were a lot of veterans there and firefighters and police, first responders. It's a very military heavy organization. And it's not because military people are badass. It's because a lot of military folks, veterans are broken and CrossFit is an incredibly healing place to be in a very healing community. And so I keep it a part of my life. It's been a wonderful part of my life. So I'll talk about that. I'll talk about the brain tumors and my recovery around those. I know I've spoken of those in the Jack podcast, but I look at all of these physical things in my life, what has happened to me. And I just see that there's a consistent pattern for me. And when you look at the effects of trauma on the body, as you know, as in this book, the body keeps the score, you realize that almost every illness we have in modern society comes back to a traumatic response or something emotional or mental or spiritual, as opposed to not getting vaccinated for a virus. Although <laughs> no more tuberculosis and smallpox, so we can thank vaccines for that. So that's what this season will focus on. It will really focus on the physical side of trauma and grief. And I'll tell stories to share that. I want to give you some updates right now. So physically right now, since I've started the podcast and had Jack, my drinking is better. And, you know, alcoholism or drug addiction, those things are physical. They're a substance that masks something that you feel. So some people drink because they physically hurt. 
I remember when I was, before I had my brain surgery to fix my mouth, I drank a lot at night because I was in so much pain by dinner time that I, the alcohol numbed the physical pain. But so I'm better there. I think some of my drinking now is truly emotional. There are days that I'm just exhausted by evening. And so a drink or two just calms me down, but it separates me. It's not something that I want a part of Jack's life at all. So that, that remains current for me. So I've had this baby and I'm working out and I'm fit. I've lost almost all the weight. So in so many ways, I'm doing well. But I have two issues going on. So I tore my rotator cuff. So it's January. I've been in excruciating pain since September, late September, early October. So I have not slept well at all. So of course, rotator cuff, what do they say? Oh, you have to have surgery. Well, the surgery makes you keep your shoulder still for six months. The only time my shoulder really hurts is when it's still. If I'm moving it around, I feel so much better. The stillness bothers it the most. So I think to myself, how can, even though you're fixing a tear, how can keeping it still for six months be okay? Well, I'm not going to do the surgery. So in sharing this malady with some friends of mine, I was put into a clinic and they do plasma injections. So I just had the most amazing experience. So what they do is they take your blood and they draw it out and they put it in a centrifuge and they spin it around and all the platelets come out. So the platelets are the red, red blood cells that do all, all the healing and they inject them into the joint. So there's an ultrasound machine and there's my, there's the arm bone, the humerus, and there's my shoulder joint. And you can see all the fluid around it. And they put the needle right in and inject my own plasma right into the joint itself. I had my skepticism here, like, okay, putting blood into a shoulder, what, what's that going to do? So today is Saturday. I had the injection Wednesday. Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, three nights, I have had 70% improvement in the amount of pain I have at night. My shoulder would hurt so much in the middle of the night that I could not sleep. I'd have to get up and move around. I'd have to shim it up with pillows. I'd have to put ice on it. I really was wide awake most of the night for the past three months. Last night, I slept from 9.30 to 3. That's an insane, insanely long amount of time for me. Blood plasma. No, it's not covered by insurance. It was $600. So I'm lucky that I could afford that. I am beside myself. So now I'm doing active physical therapy. I have to repair the shoulder. I can't hold a baby with a broken shoulder. I can't be in a sling for six weeks. Yeah, and not be able to work out. That would decimate me. I'm avoiding anything with the arms. I'm really doing everything I can to heal the shoulder. Because my foot, of my many surgeries, I have bunions. I get them, I inherit them. All the women on my mother's side of the family have bunions. My doctor thinks it's rheumatoid. I'm looking at my ugly feet. I will never put my feet on the podcast. <laughs> my doctor thinks it's rheumatoid arthritis. And perhaps it is. Regardless, my big toes are crooked. They go way over. On my left foot, sometimes it goes almost over to the, it's almost sideways. It's hideous looking. But it's interfering with my ability to walk properly. I can't do lunges and certain things at CrossFit. I need to fix it. 17 years ago, I did fix it. Molly was two. It will be 17 years in February that I had the toe straightened and it's not straight at all anymore. And I've needed it fixed for a long time. So that requires four weeks on crutches and pins in my feet. It's reconstructive surgery in my foot that will function properly. I can't be on crutches with a torn rotator cuff. So about a month ago, I was over Christmas, actually, right after I finished recording last season's episodes and we were driving to Florida, I was just a disaster. And reading these books, in finding the wellness center to do the plasma injection, et cetera, has turned me around. And so I have a much better plan now. I'll do the foot repair in the spring because then I can sit outside in the chair as opposed to being stuck in the house and I can have more mobility. I, I don't want to be on crutches on ice. Doing it in the winter just seems like, you know, some people are like, no, do it in the winter. You can't go out anyway. Well, no, no, I can't stay in. <laughs> I, I think I'd go a bit nuts. That's my current physical situation is as drastic as ever. My naysayers would say, here you are again. Look at Barb and all the bad things happening to me. Well, yeah, my body's a disaster right now. And the foot thing, I think I just put off, you know, I didn't think about it in the wake of Molly's death. I was supposed to fix this five years ago. 
The shoulder is my own athletic ego. I did a workout in late September that had 50 pull-ups in it. And I did five and I'm like, all right, I did five. I'll do five more. And I did all 50 pull-ups. And I think it was just too much for my hold the baby 58 year old shoulders. So this one, I'm going to do all the physical therapy and crossover symmetry and all those things. So that's my current physical status now. My mouth continues to hurt. I still have some balance issues around brain tumor recovery. My hair is growing long. But otherwise, I have to say, I, I don't feel 58. Not that I know what 58 is supposed to feel like, but I do feel pretty good. And I continue to practice as much as I can good health practices. I also participate in an online spiritual mentoring group called The Nest. And I don't participate as much as I should. And it's led by Karen Kenny. And I brought her up before. And she also does a podcast. So it's called The Karen Kenny Show. And this is podcast episode 148. And it came out on January 6th. It's worth it. And you all should watch it. She's talking with a man named Walter Norton Jr. And he owns a gym in North Andover, Mass, Massachusetts. And he and Karen met at BU and I went to BU. So there's a connection right there. And actually some of the people that he's trained are famous New England athletes and actors and actresses. But what's great about this man is his connection of the effects of trauma on your life and how honoring your body and taking care of yourself physically in all the different ways, what you eat and who you, who you hang out with and how you pray or don't pray and you know, how you treat your pets and who you love and who you allow to love you. All of this goes into being healthy. This whole episode is called Let's Get Better. And my universal theme of things happen right when you need them. There was a, me a meme today that said, when you are ready to learn, the teacher will appear. This season three of the podcast is all about the physical aspects of grief. The body keeps the score. You know, what's happening with me physically? What will I pass on to my children? You know, and I listen to Karen's podcast when I drive to CrossFit Namesbury. And as I'm beginning season three, what's the, what's the podcast episode? Let's get better. And it's not just, oh, lose weight and eat right and get better. It's all of it. Mind, body, spirit. So these are the things I'll talk about in this episode. I'll close or wrap up by giving you a little Jack update. So Jack is about to be 10 months old. He'll be 10 months on the 20th. He is adorable. He crawls around. He pulls himself up. He's healthy. He's got two teeth. Everybody loves him. He goes to childcare a couple days a week. He's a joy. He's just a wonderful, wonderful baby. He and Gracie connect. They get along really, really well. As far as Jack goes, life is just good. He's a very, very happy baby. Gracie was accepted to the Disney College program. So she's going to head off to Walt Disney World for a seven-month internship. That will be life-changing. <laughs> I don't know how she and Jack will do without each other, but it's a good reason to go visit Florida as much as I can. Kenny's health continues to march along. Me, I'm, I'm an open book. The next eight or 10 episodes, we will dive into how we live in our bodies and what that's like for us and what my journey as an athlete and a mother has been like. What are you doing in the month of January, in the new year, that we're not going to make a big deal of to be healthy? You know, you don't have to join a gym and lose 50 pounds to be healthy. There are so many things that you can do that I'm finding make me feel good about myself, physically, emotionally, socially, mentally, spiritually. Do something good for yourself. Be nice to somebody, especially yourself first. As we go into 2022, I'm, I'm excited just to see where life takes me and where it takes us. So thank you for listening again. I hope that, as always, you get something out of what I say. But as always, have a good day, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening and for supporting A Thousand Tiny Steps. I hope you enjoyed the episode and will continue to listen. Feel free to leave a review and share my stories with your friends. Also, please reach out if you have stories to share. I love hearing from and connecting with my listeners. If you would like to know what I'll be talking about down the road, you can find me on Instagram at barb underscore 444, on Facebook as Barb Higgins, and at my website, www.1000tinysteps.com.